ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are finishing up 2 Corinthians with chapters 10 through 13. In these chapters, Paul is defending his ministry. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was called by Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul replied, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Saul was blinded by the light of the Lord. So he was guided into the city and waited until the Lord sent Ananias to him. Now the Lord told Ananias that Saul was a chosen instrument of his to bear his name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Plus, he will suffer for the Lord's name. When Ananias laid hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately he could see he was baptized and ate. This is found in Acts chapter 9. Now did Paul walk with Jesus for three years? No. Did he see the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus? No. Was he called by Jesus? Yes. Was he sent by Jesus? Yes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 8 through 10, Paul described himself as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God with me. We will find in this section that Paul was persecuted by Jews and Gentiles alike, and many tried to corrupt his reputation. And this is what Paul is defending. With verse 1 of chapter 10, we see that Paul addressed the criticisms he had received from some people in Corinth. As Paul responded to the Corinthians, we can see some of the complaints about Paul. The first is that his letters are stern and bold, but when he comes, he is humble and not powerful. Verse 2 shows us that some say that Paul walked according to the flesh. Paul acknowledged that they do walk in the flesh, but they do not wage war according to the flesh. But it is in the spirit that destruction of fortresses happen. Verse 5, Paul said they are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then verse 6, he said, they are ready to punish any disobedience when they get there. In verse 7, Paul said, look at what is obvious. Murray J. Harris said, in response, Paul does not discourage the testing of credentials, but casts doubt on the adequacy of the criteria the Corinthians are using. In all this, his motive was not personal vindication, but the desire to defend the Corinthian church from the danger of apostasy. In verses 8 through 10, Paul quotes a criticism given. His letters are weighty and powerful, 
but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking is despicable. Now, if you remember, this letter is Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians. The first is missing to us. The second, 1 Corinthians, was a strong letter to address sin that was happening at the church in Corinth. Paul visited Corinth a second time, which we have no record of in Acts, and this visit was deemed painful. Then the third letter, which we also do not have a copy of, was severe and sorrowful. This letter was sent by Titus, and it brought a repentant and revived spirit in them. Now Paul is writing this letter before he comes. The Corinthians should know that Paul can also be stern in person, and Paul does not want his next visit to be that way. So he's addressing issues in this letter before he comes. Moyer Hubbard said, The only physical description of Paul from antiquity comes to us from the second century document, the Acts of Paul and Thecla. Paul is small of stature with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. We will see in this section the word boast is used a lot. Paul's goal was not to compare himself with his opponents, but Paul was willing to boast about what God had done through him. And God had used Paul and his ministry team to bring the gospel message all the way to Corinth. Paul had never wanted to build on someone else's ministry, but he was an evangelist taking the good news to places that had not heard. Verse 17, Paul said, But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. Here he is quoting from Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. If we boast about ourselves, it means nothing. But if the Lord Jesus boasts about us, then that is something. Now in chapter 11, Paul acknowledged that what he is about to say is foolishness because he's about to list his credentials to the church. The plus for us is that we get a more complete look into Paul's life. Paul started by explaining that he is their father and he presented the church in Corinth as his daughter to the Lord Jesus as his bride. Then in verse 3 he shared, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Ladies, sometimes we struggle with the simplicity of Christianity. Jesus paid it all. And all we have to do is believe. It is so simple that a young child can do it. With salvation comes devotion to Jesus Christ, not to people. And this can also be a stumbling block. Paul didn't save them. The people at their church now did not save them. All glory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one who paid the price for our sins. Verses 5 and 6, Paul declared he is not inferior to the, quote, super apostles. Keep in mind that I highly doubt that the apostles of Jesus Christ called themselves that, but that the false teachers in Corinth used that term. Paul may not be trained in speaking, but he is certainly trained in knowledge, and he has spoken the truth. Then Paul concentrated on three areas of boasting— one, he did not charge the church for his services. Two, his credentials in suffering as an apostle. And three, his mystical experience with the Lord. 
If you remember in Acts 18, when Paul first arrived in Corinth, he met Aquila and Priscilla, and because they were all tent makers, they worked their trade together. Paul would then go to the synagogue and teach the gospel. It was not until Silas and Timothy came that Paul solely focused on the word of God. According to the passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul was also able to live on gifts from the churches in Macedonia. Now, to help understand why this was such an issue, it helps me to think of blue-collar and white-collar mentality. My dad's side of the family were hard workers. At first, they were farmers, but then they were mainly blue-collar workers in factories like Caterpillar. It's difficult for people with that background to see a pastor who, quote, just studied and preached as if that was work. Now, in the Greek's way of thinking, it was degrading for a professional teacher not to be paid for his service. So for Paul not to receive money from them showed him as inferior. He stressed in verse 11 that Paul loved the church in Corinth, which was why he did what he did. He also warned them against the false teachers among them and reminded them that Satan also disguised himself as an angel of light. In verse 16, again, Paul said, please don't think me foolish in what I'm about to boast about. And now we see Paul's credentials. In verses 16 through 21, Paul used the word foolish four times. We learn a little more about who Paul's opponents are in verses 22 and 23. They are Hebrews. Paul is too. In other words, they are Jews from Palestinian descent with Hebrew and Aramaic speaking, not Greek speaking. They are Israelites, so is Paul. In other words, they are of the nation that are the people of God. They are descendants of Abraham, so is Paul. In other words, it is through Abraham that the promise of God came. This is their heritage. They are servants of Christ, verse 23. And then Paul said, I am speaking as if I'm insane. I am even more a servant of Christ. How? Paul does not boast of how many churches he started or all of the healings that happened through him. Instead, he boasts of the sufferings in his service of the Lord. Many of these things are not listed in Acts, which again shows us that Luke was writing with a purpose of how the gospel was spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outer parts of the earth. Acts is not a biography of the life of Paul. The rest of chapter 11, Paul tells us of his imprisonments, beatings, lashes, one stoning, three shipwrecks, dangers on the road, from Jews and Gentiles. At times he had sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, cold, and exposed. Then inwardly he had concerns for the churches. Chapter 12 starts, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. Yet for us, the reader, it is profitable to understand Paul a bit better. Paul then boasts of an encounter he had in the third heaven or paradise. He does not know if he was actually taken there or if it was a vision. Now, when he talks of it, he does not talk as if it was him. Yet in verse 7, he said, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, 
There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. We never find out what the thorn of the flesh was. Many speculate, some think it was Paul's poor vision, but I like the fact that we don't know because it can then relate to all of us because we all have thorns in the flesh. Verse 8 tells us that Paul pleaded with the Lord three times for it to be removed. Keep in mind that Jesus also prayed three times for his cup to be removed. The answer for both was no. Then verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul then boasts in his weakness, his struggles. Why? It ties back to the introduction of Paul's letter. There is purpose in the pain. First, we become more like Christ. Then we can comfort those who are suffering. When Paul is weak, then he is strong in the Lord. Paul again said his boasting was foolish in verse 11. And he again said that he is in no respect inferior to the most eminent apostles. He went on to say that the church experienced the signs of apostleship when he was there with them. In verse 14, we learn of Paul's upcoming third visit. And he said, I am not seeking what is yours. In other words, they're giving, but of you. Paul cares about the people. He then said that they experienced Titus and his ways are just like Paul's ways. They are trustworthy. Then in verses 20 and 21, Paul shared his fear that when he comes, he will find some of the church members not living in a way that is pleasing unto the Lord. Chapter 13 continued with his fear that may lead to church discipline when he gets there. The policy was that two or three people would give testimony of their actions. If necessary, Paul would come and not be lenient. He will address the issues at the church. In verse 5, Paul said, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? G.R. Beasley Murray said, they asked whether Jesus Christ is speaking in him. He asked whether Jesus Christ is in them. But if they have no faith, they have no Christ, no God. No hope, nothing. How imperative it is that they should not fail to meet the test. In verse 9, Paul said that their goal was that the believers would be made perfect. Verse 10, Paul said, I write these things now because I don't want to be severe again when I come. He reminds them that God gave him the authority to build them up, not to tear them down. Verses 11 through 14 are Paul's closing words. He encouraged them to rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, and live in peace. He reminded them that the God of love and peace will be with them. He encouraged them to greet one another with a holy kiss, like how Italians kiss cheek to cheek at their greetings. Verse 13, all the saints greet you. They are not alone in their faith. There is a universal church of all believers around the world. Then Paul said in verse 14, 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Here we see the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they work together in the process of our sanctification. The Corinthian church struggled with pressures from within the church and pressures outside the church. They struggled with being in the world, but not allowing the world to control the church. Our churches struggle the same way. Historically speaking, in 1 Clement chapter 3, verse 2, which was written about A.D. 95, he described the Corinthian church torn by jealousy and envy, strife and sedition, persecution and anarchy. The church still had problems. But Paul encouraged the people to examine themselves. There were some faithful. Just as in the Old Testament, there was always a remnant. Even now, there is a remnant of faithful believers of the universal church that will be faithful to the end. The question is, are you one of them? Today, if you hear his voice, please don't harden your heart. Instead, let's be women who pray, give, and obey until Jesus comes again or until he takes us home. Until next time, and thank you so much for listening.